this message is uh, focused upon Justin Franchino. Secondarily, to the pastor elders in this church, and then to all of us. The Word of God applies. As good soldiers of Jesus Christ, Paul said to Timothy, therefore you must endure hardship as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. No one engaged in warfare entangles himself in the affairs of this life that he may please him who enlisted him to be a soldier. I'm going to read eight verses from uh, the second chapter of, or excuse me, the fourth chapter of 2 Timothy, which gives a bit of the passion of, of the Apostle Paul with the understanding that these are the last recorded words of the Apostle Paul before he was martyred. And this uh, gives urgency and, and passion and focus uh, to the whole life of the Apostle Paul as he charged Timothy. I charge you therefore before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who will judge the living and the dead at his appearing and his kingdom. Preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Convince, rebuke, exhort with all long-suffering and teaching. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but according to their own desires, because they have itching ears, they will heap up for themselves teachers, and they will turn their ears away from the truth and be turned aside to fables. But you, be watchful in all things, endure afflictions, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. For I am already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure is at hand. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Finally, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give me on that day, and not to me only, but to all those who have loved his appearing. Heavenly Father, I thank you for delivering us from the slave market of sin and placing us into the kingdom of your dear Son, who is Lord, who is Jesus, who is the Christ, the promised Messiah. Father, I pray that you would empower us to live obediently in his kingdom of light, that the world might see the life of Christ reflected in us, that you may be glorified. Father, I pray with great humility that you would sustain discipline as necessary, reproduce passionate disciples of Jesus, and that all things you would be glorified in and through the Peninsula of Grace Brethren Church body until your purposes with this church are accomplished or until Jesus returns. In whose name I pray, amen. The words of this epistle come from the Apostle Paul, the old man who was the writer. He writes near the end of his second Roman imprisonment as he lived literally in the shadows of the gallows. 
They're his last recorded words, and as such reflect most clearly that about which he was most passionate. And he wrote these words to the young man who was the reader, Timothy, Paul's beloved young son in the faith. Paul's love for this young pastor was deep and passionate. And as always, they were words about the God-man who was the reason. The centrality of the person of Jesus Christ always shines forth in the writings of the Apostle Paul. And this is especially true as he gave this last charge to this young pastor. And as an admonition to us, uh, hardly needs to be given. May the centrality of the person of Jesus Christ be at the forefront of everything we do, especially that which we teach. The charge the Apostle Paul gave to Timothy consisted of 26 verses in six short sections. And this did not take a rocket scientist to put this uh, outline together. I simply took the the instructions or the charge that Paul uh, gave Timothy and divided them into three categories. What Timothy was charged to do, not to do, and most importantly, what he was to be. I'm allergic to formulas, as you know by now, and lists. Things like follow these steps and success is guaranteed. Read this book, implement these policies or principles, and everything will be well. Go to this seminar, learn these methods, all 1,439 of them. Implement them in your church, and insto presto your church will grow. The Christian life and ministry is not a formula, a list, or a button to push. It's a growing relationship with Jesus Christ that embraces him with all of our being. And the corollary to that is ministry is not about methods and programs. It's about people for whom Christ died. And what I see here in 2 Timothy is an old soldier of the cross describing the framework, the atmosphere of dependence upon God, which God blesses in terms of ministry and most importantly in terms of one's Christian life. And so we begin. Do not... Do not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord. Right up front, in the, right out of the gate in the first chapter, verse 8. Do not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord. Or another way of putting it, be clear as to your convictions. Make sure they are rooted in the Word of God and in the person of Jesus Christ. And be passionate about it. Nothing I hate worse than especially a preacher who is apologetic and mealy-mouthed about what he believes and about Jesus. He goes on to say, shun profane and idle babblings, or another way of saying it, don't follow the latest pop theology. And I would say, spend less time reading about the Bible and spend a whole lot more time reading the Bible. Flee also youthful lusts, or maintain your moral integrity and purity. 
at all costs. As a pastor, you cannot even afford to give cause for accusation. Even an accusation can destroy your usefulness in ministry. Be so very, very clear and careful. Maintain your moral integrity at all costs. There is such spiritual vitality and strength in a pure conscience. Keep it pure. Avoid foolish and ignorant disputes. Don't be sidetracked from the eternal. Major on the majors, minor on the minors. A servant of the Lord must not quarrel. In other words, come to terms with your past so that you're not dragging all that stuff with you and reacting to people instead of responding to issues. Avoid foolish and ignorant disputes. A servant of the Lord must not quarrel. When I was Justin's age, I was 30, 31 years of age, our church was growing. We were up to about 300 people, and we needed to hire another pastor, and we hired this really, really, really old guy. He was 55 years old. (laughs) What must Justin think of me? I'm 40 years older than he is. But we, this really, really old guy, I'd never had a mentor, and, and he became, uh, really, I, he was under my supervision, but he was my mentor, as it turned out. Some of you may remember J. Paul Miller, a godly man who had a great impact on my life. But I remember one day, this one lady in the church, I can still, I can't remember her name, but I can still picture her, quite contentious and contrary. And I was getting all worked up about it. And Pastor Paul just very gently said, uh, Pastor Larry, just remember, the Bible says, servant of the Lord doesn't uh, quarrel. He's not contentious. And that was a slap in the face that I dearly needed and am grateful for and remember to this day. I'm so grateful for that counsel. The servant of the Lord does not quarrel. Now, the Apostle Paul uh, is, gives us an example here by not avoiding the negative. But he doesn't dwell upon the negative. And he turns next to the positive, what to do. He begins by saying, stir up the gift of God which is in you. And that text goes on to say, the gift of God that is in you, by the laying on of hands. Timothy was officially endorsed by the laying on of hands. His giftedness from the Lord was recognized, as it should be. This church is quite unique in the lead pastor who is taking uh, that position here in this church, uh, grew up in this church. And I don't know how uh, Justin's going to do this, But you know, some of you ladies here in this church change these diapers. (laughs) You ever think about that? (laughs) 
You've observed him for 31 years. What an incredible testimony to God's grace in his life that his home church is calling him to be the lead pastor in this church. The laying on of hands, uh, I don't know if there's going to be a ceremony like that or, or not, but the process of laying on of hands has been accomplished. Three meetings this last year, which ended in the calling of Justin in our annual meeting in June. It's important. Now, the word here says, stir up the gift. In ministry, in a ministry of teaching the word especially, you never graduate. You're always learning. You're still digging until the day you die. Share with me in the sufferings for the gospel. Paul went on to say, endure hardship in chapter 2, verse 3. In chapter 4, verse 5, he said, endure afflictions. Sufferings, hardships, afflictions. This is the only charge that the Apostle Paul repeated, not once, but twice. All three of these words have the root word of katopatheo, to endure, with the prefix sug, Endure with Jesus, endure with me, endure with all other soldiers of the cross. And the count, my counsel would be this, to the pastor elders, to Justin, never put yourself above the fray. A good soldier, shepherd, is not above, but visibly one of. The black, uh, renowned black educator, Booker T. Washington of a hundred years ago said this, the measure of a man is not what he achieves, but in what he overcomes. That is such great wisdom. It's not what you achieve. It's what God has overcome in your life and through you. He goes on then to say, hold fast to the pattern of sound words. What is the pattern? He tells us in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16, that all Scripture is inspired by God. It is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, and instruction in righteousness. All Scripture, the graphe is the word that's translated, the very words themselves are inspired or God-breathed. The manuscripts of the New Testament, in this case and the Old, were what God wanted to be represented as his truth to us. And that is the pattern of sound words that we're to hold fast to. The Grace Brethren Church, when it was first founded in 1947, 48, along in there, had brought with it a motto that was uh, referred to over and over in the early days. And the motto was the Bible, the whole Bible, and nothing but the Bible, as our standard of practice and doctrinal belief and faith. Hold fast to the pattern of sound words. Commit God's word to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Now that's the great commission that's repeated in Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, and here very specifically in 2 Timothy. Our commission is to make disciples, 
Ministries, buildings crumble, ministries pass. But a disciple lasts forever. As I look back on my 45 years of ministry, there's some significant milestones, significant accomplishments and achievements. There's one thing that that I cherish, and I know it's eternal, and that's the, the few disciples that God has privileged me to mentor along the way. Commit to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Know this, that perilous times will come. That's a promise. Count on it. Continue in the things which you have learned. There are many who start well, many less who end well. Be a plow horse, not a racehorse. And then he says, preach the word. To Justin, that's like telling a fish to swim or a bird to fly. It just comes natural. It's the word here is kerudzo, which means to proclaim. It's, it's not just teach, but proclaiming the word of God passionately. There is not a passage of scripture that I can't be passionate about. Uh, I don't know, it's by God's um, sense of humor, I guess. My quiet time this morning was in Judges 15, 16, 17, along and there, the story of Samson. I hate the book of Judges. It's so depressing and discouraging. But in it, there is such stuff that challenges uh, one's life. Uh, I just, I, I, I mourn almost for, for Samson. He was led by his hormones 99% of the time rather than by the Spirit of God. And yet he was one of God's uh, judges. That's where I was this morning in my quiet time. And yet... I can speak passionately about any passage of Scripture because of what it is. It is the Word of God. And yet, uh, for 45 years, that's what's kept me going, by the way, is the privilege of teaching the Word of God because the Word of God changes lives. The power of God unto salvation is, is resident in the Word of God. And uh, Justin and whoever else is going to be preaching in the months to come, every Sunday is going to preach four sermons. After it's all done, he'll look back and say there's the sermon he would have preached, the sermon he could have preached, the sermon he should have preached, and the one he actually preached. And that happens about every Sunday. And what I have noticed, that God does not use eloquence of a speaker. He uses the power resident in the Word of God to change lives. And the sermon that goes like that, right over the end of the pulpit and drops right there, at least in the preacher's imagination, usually... If the sermon is consistent with the text, the sermon is coming out of the text of God's Word, it has resident the power of the Holy Spirit to change. And I have noticed through the years the wonderful sermons that I have preached, the wonderful ones that God used to change lives were those sermons that went about that far in my own imagination. But when you're true to the Word of God, God uses the Word no matter how poorly 
it may, you may feel it was presented. <clears throat> In chapter 4, verse 2, he says, Convince, rebuke, and exhort. And to do that, you've got to be down in the trenches, rubbing shoulders with everyone else in the congregation. Otherwise, the rebuke, the exhort, exhortation when necessary will not be received well. A good shepherd smells like sheep. He's never above. And it says to convince, rebuke, and exhort with all long-suffering and teaching. I've shared this before. The word long-suffering is macrothumia, apart from or long on, away from, wrath. Not short-fused. And it's a word always used with regard to patience with people. Upomono, remain under, is translated patience with things. This is a unique word. When, when ministering with people, we need to be long-suffering, gentle, patient, uh, understanding, kind, not placing ourselves in a position of, of superiority, but coming together. And this is not just pastor and flock. This is all of us with each other. Do the work, fulfill your ministry. Faithfully do the work. And it is work. But in the doing, don't allow your ministry to become your mistress. Seek a balance. Don't look to ministry to feed your sense of self-worth or value. Find that in Jesus. Well, enough of doing and not doing. Ultimately, one's ministry, for better or worse, will be reflected by who you are or what you are, not what you do. And he ends with four instructions of what one is to be. The first, he says, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And I would say to the elders and to Justin, if you err, err on the side of grace. Nothing better speaks of the character of God than grace. Be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And be diligent to present yourself approved of God. A verse that goes on to say, rightly dividing the word of truth. The great joy of pastoral ministry is in feeding upon the word of God with the congregation. And it's this feeding that equips God's people to do the work of ministry. <clears throat> Third, be ready in season and out of season, eager to care as a shepherd. It's fun to study, to put a sermon together, and to present it. It's hard work. It's easy work to be a preacher. It's hard work to be a pastor. At least it is for people that are um, endowed with my giftedness. The hard part is the 
sickbed, the grieving person who's lost a mate or a child or whatever. This is hard work, but it has to come from the heart, from a heart that really deeply cares, or it won't work. I've heard it said that a preacher must be ready to preach, pray, or die at all times, and I have found that to be true. Finally, be watchful in all things. I want you all to hear this. Justin Franchino is in the crosshairs of the arch enemy of our soul, Satan. More so than all the rest of us here in this room. Support him in prayer and in every way possible. Be watchful in all things, not only for oneself, but as relates to the, to the church. The critical role, the most critical role, I believe, of elders in any local church in this age of spiritual deception, immediately preceding the return of the Lord, is uh, protection of the flock from apostasy and heresy. And when the Apostle Paul stopped off in Athens on his, excuse me, in Ephesus, On his way back to Jerusalem, he met with the elders on the beach, and here's what he said to them. Therefore, take heed to yourself and to all the flock among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to shepherd the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. For I know this, that after my departure, savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. Also, from among yourselves... Men will rise up, speaking perverse things, to draw away disciples unto themselves. Therefore watch and remember that for three years I did not cease to warn you, night and day, with tears. Paul deeply cared about the spiritual wholeness, protection from the deception of the enemy, uh, of his charge in Ephesus. And uh, I would like to say I've been, I have a different perspective than most of you uh, on the elders of our church. They are, are, are very, very, very tuned into that. Uh, protecting us from anything that might uh, be heretical. And deeply concerned for the care and welfare of this church. I have been so blessed and pleased to see the growth uh, in the elder, elders and the direction they are taking, taking seriously the role of pastor-elder in this church. I, I was going to say this later, but I'll say it here since I'm on it. The one thing I would like to see change is that there are some of you here, probably many, who don't, who don't know who our elders are. Oh, you see the pictures back there. You might recognize a face. But you don't, know, you don't know them. You don't know their heart. And I'm, I'm hoping, uh, they're, they're so involved in children's ministry and worship and different areas, but they're not involved here on Sunday mornings much up front. And I'm hoping, and I know I'm beating this drum and the elders out there are saying, yeah, 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 we've heard this before. But I do hope that the elders will have opportunity to share their heart more than they have had opportunity in the future Uh, on Sunday mornings so that you can all get to know who they are 
not just what they look like. These four uh, charges of, of what to be, be strong, be diligent, be ready, be watchful, uh, reflect the four primary responsibilities of an elder pastor, to be a leader of the flock, by example, to feed the flock, to care deeply for the flock, and to protect vigilantly. And I am here to say that your elders uh, are really up to speed. Uh, You've got some quality men serving you in that capacity. I want to close with several words of summarizing words. uh, Don't come from the text. Uh, I made these up all by myself. One, Justin, elders, congregation, be God-glorifying at all times. A familiar quote? God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in him. Ministry is not a profession. It's gratitude in action. Be God-glorifying, be spirit-empowered, grace-formed, and by that I mean authentic, an authentic incarnation of Jesus' life in you. Be word-shaped, a life joyfully reflecting a biblical lifestyle. Love-driven, you know you are love-driven, if people are attracted to you. You know as a church body, you are love-driven if people are attracted to your church. It's not rocket science. It's just that basic because we live in a love-starved culture. And a church that's good at loving each other first and then loving the world about them is an attractive church, and it is a growing church. Be ministry equipping. You know, the average size of a church in America is around 70 people. There's a reason for that. I've been around a while, and I've observed a lot of churches. And I would say that the large majority of churches in America today have a problem with a bottleneck. You ever seen a, a milk a milk jug, it has the bottleneck at the top. And it restrains the water for the milk from just swooshing out. That's the way, quite honestly, most churches operate. They depend upon the leadership group, whether it be the staff or the elders, to do it. And we just kind of watch them burn out. And conversely, many leadership teams control the congregation. And instead of releasing, encouraging, promoting ministry, love, all of that goes into ministry, they, re- they restrain it. Everything has to go through the elder board. Everything has to go to the staff. And guess what? The church is stifled. The church is held down. As a ministry team and as a ministry board, be unleashers, equippers and unleashers. 
And as this church grows, and I believe you're going to experience substantial growth in the, in the months and years just ahead, I hope this church looks more and more like organized chaos. When people are freed to minister, there's so much happening, so much love going on that you can't organize it, and that's good. The less government in our country, the better off we are. That's also true in a church. And finally, be joy fragranced. I don't need to tell Justin this. Justin likes to laugh. But my counsel will be laugh a lot, and Justin, laugh at yourself. Everybody else is. (laughs) Find humor wherever you can. And I know you do. Don't take yourself too serious. And when ministry leadership as a pastor becomes a job, retire. You'll be doing yourself and all the rest of us a favor. My final words to you as a church is uh, steady as it goes. This church has made uh, a very interesting step forward in the last three years. Essentially, this church is not the same church that was 10 years ago. There's been a rebirthing taking place. And about a third to a half of you that are here this morning are new over the last three or four years. And uh, the whole personality of this church is changing. And uh, this is good. My job was to spend three years here as a bridge from what was to what is becoming. And it is time, probably past time, for me to step down. The job's done, complete, the transition's done, the bridge is crossed, and uh, the leadership team that has been drawn together uh, is younger, uh, more vibrant, has a lot of energy, and that is all good. And I'm anticipating some incredibly good things to happen here in this church in the years to come. You know, I, I, I stepped down in a very similar situation three and a half years ago uh, in, uh, in Ohio. And the, the new young pastors were put in place. And I, I told the elder board, you, you better get ready. This church is really going to grow. And it did. It's about double the size it was when I was there. And they've started a branch church because it's too full. It's just exploding. It's organized chaos back there. I just love that kind of atmosphere. And I anticipate uh, God to do that here with this church. My word to the staff, the paid staff here in this church, you love well. The camaraderie, the esprit de corps in our staff is, is, is really healthy. And I sense that throughout the church. And finally, elders, I said to you earlier what I wanted to say. I appreciate where you're going uh, amongst yourselves and where you're leading the church. <clears throat>
Final word. Stick with the stuff. Keep on keeping on. And may the Lord bless you and keep you and the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for your precious gift to us of the church, the body of Christ. Brothers and sisters living in community as a testimony before a watching world, may, Father, the individuals within this church love deeply, fervently, passionately. And I would pray, Father, that you would protect Justin, the elders, and the members of this church. We would protect them from the evil one. Bless and prosper them in every way. May they be found faithful until Jesus comes. In his name I pray, amen. Amen.